years ago, uh, right about this time, about 26 years ago, 1988 was the year, uh, and I was a young boy of 11 years old, and I was coming towards the end of primary school, and I had enjoyed primary school. Primary school was a great time. It was a time where you could go out and kick a football, and you, you learned your times tables, uh, and you had a little bit of homework, but generally speaking, life was, you know, pretty good. And uh, at the start of 1988, there was the preparation for the dreaded 11 plus. Okay, the 11 plus. Now, for those of you who don't know what the 11 plus was, the 11 plus was an exam for 11 year olds. And it was uh, basically a test. And if you passed, you had the chance to go to a grammar school. And if you failed, you didn't go to a grammar school, you went to a high school. And uh, it had lots of things wrong with it. But it, it basically had a huge bearing on where you would go academically in your life. And so... For me, I, I was just like most young boys at the time. I was kind of carefree. I was happy. I was relaxed. But my dad decided that this was a really important thing. And so every Saturday morning, he would get me out of my bed at 7 a.m. in the morning. He would come in, get me out of my bed, take me down to the kitchen table, and we would sit and go through 11 plus questions. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Doesn't that just sound brilliant? And he would give me tests and he would give me challenges and he would tell me off when I wasn't getting it right and he would make me get up week after week after week after week. And you know what? I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I wanted to be outside kicking a football, playing music, doing whatever it was that I wanted to do. 
And do you know something? I passed my 11 plus. I passed it, but even years later, I didn't really understand why. Why did my dad put me through that? Why did he make me get up in the morning and put me through all of that? Well, you see, because even knowing you it was painful, even knowing you it was hard, he knew that passing that exam would give me opportunities that he had never had. And as a father myself now, I'm, I look back at that and I'm grateful that he did it. I'm grateful that he gave me that opportunity. And the verses that we're looking at tonight, these Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, and we're going to focus just on those verses tonight. But that's a picture, that picture of my dad and the 11 plus is, is, is a picture of what these verses are saying. That everything that my father did at that time was for my own good. You know, we're looking at the book of Proverbs, and I, and, and I guess that it's not one of the books of the Bible that Christians focus on a lot. It's not a, a, a book of the Bible that, that the Christians spend a lot of time meditating on. But you know something, it's a really, really important book. We have the books of the law and the books of the prophet, but, but we need more than that. To be able to live day by day by day. Because if, we're, if we seek the holiness of the law, and we do, and we want to seek the vision of the prophets, and we do, but if that's all that we do, we can still make a mess of our lives. A mess of our families, our churches, our community. Our workplaces, if we're not seeking to become wise. It's so much so that we're told that you have to seek it out. Wisdom is worth more than gold, more than rubies, more than anything. And these verses, small as they are, have a lot to teach us about the pursuit of wisdom. It's interesting that the pattern of chapter 3 up to this point is a kind of do this and you get that. It's don't forget my teaching and you will prolong your life. Be loving and faithful and you will win favour. Trust in the Lord and your paths are made straight. Honour the Lord with your wealth and your barns will be filled to overflowing. And then you come to these verses. And they stand out because they break the pattern. They highlight a deeper understanding of wisdom that life isn't always going to work out easily. And I want to give you three headings tonight. Firstly, the rebuke of a father. 
Secondly, the discipline of a father. And thirdly, the love of a father. So firstly, a rebuke. Do you know, throughout history, God has always rebuked people in the Bible. Even those, and perhaps particularly those that he loves. King David. King David was a great king. He was a man who was described by God as being one after his own heart. But you see, he wasn't perfect. At one point in his reign, he saw a, a beautiful woman, wasn't his wife, bathing on the roof. And he decided that he wanted her. So he took her. And he slept with her. And he got her pregnant. And then, in order to cover up his sin, so nobody would find out about it, he arranged for her husband to be murdered, to be killed. It's pretty bad. And David, kind of thinking, I've got away with it, I've managed to get away with, with all of that, and Nathan the prophet comes to him comes to the king and he presents him with the case. And he says to David, he says, there's a rich man. And this rich man has abused his position. He's used his power and his his position to destroy this weak, poor man. And David jumps in to condemn the rich man. He jumps in and he says... What a terrible thing to do. And Nathan says four words. He says, you are that man. It's one of the most stinging rebukes in the Bible. And you see, as Christians, I know this in my life. There are times. When you hear a message preached or when you read the word of God and you feel deep inside a rebuke, you know that there's an area of your life that isn't right. You know that there's an area of your life that needs to change in order for you to grow. But our instinct, our natural instinct, It's just to ignore it. It's to kind of move on with our Christian lives. To kind of nurse the the, the secret sins. The hurts. Because we like to keep control. I mean even if you're not a Christian here tonight. You maybe already know that feeling. Because God is calling on your life. You're hearing, you're feeling, and you're sensing God's call. But you you want to ignore it. You want to stay with your old life. You know, sometimes we decide that really we just know best. That our wisdom is is better than the wisdom of God. 
Do you know, in the early 18th century, there began a, a, a movement. A movement that said that, that all the conventional wisdom that had been passed down through the generations was, was challenged. You couldn't accept all the conventional wisdom. It was ironically, actually, it was a movement called the Age of the Enlightenment. And you see, culturally, every one of us here, old, young, in between, we're all children of the Enlightenment. Every one of us. And every generation since, in our culture, thinks that they know better than the last one. It's, it's why we always tend to think our default setting is that we think we know better than our parents. We're kind of more enlightened now than our parents were. And then you put into that the notion that a book written thousands of years ago and over the course of thousands of years that, that, that it could speak to us that it could challenge us. That it has something to tell us. To rebuke us. Well I mean our culture just thinks that's mad. And as a result sometimes we buy into that. As Christians we buy into it. We think that, that we know best. And you see, Proverbs knows that it isn't our natural instinct to listen to our teachers. That, that we despise rebuke. In fact, in our society, more and more, you can't tell anybody that they're doing anything wrong. But here's the thing. When David was rebuked by Nathan and by God. His immediate response was to repent. Was to throw his hands in the air and say, Dear God, I have sinned against you. And you know, that is in stark contrast to the king that came before David. King Saul... Another king, another imperfect man rebuked by God. But he refused to listen. He refused to accept that rebuke. And disaster came on him and on his family. See, the difference between the two men wasn't that they didn't make mistakes. It's not that we don't make mistakes. It wasn't that one was better than the other. It's simply that Saul resented the rebuke from God while David embraced it. And if we want to become wise, and if we want to become mature Christians, and if we want to grow, and we all say that we do, then we need to realize that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And we need to be ready to accept his rebuke. 
There's the rebuke of the father. But there's also the discipline of the father. And you see there's a picture here. Of the times that we all have in our life. Of hardship. Of trial. Times that we have either had in our lives. Or we're going to have. And these verses are, in a way, are kind of telling us that those trials, they act a little bit like a turbocharger, a catalyst in our pursuit of wisdom. If we embrace those trials correctly, and we see them for what they are, then our pursuit of wisdom is turbocharged. Do you know, I find it really interesting when I was studying for this sermon tonight, I find it really interesting. These verses, these two verses, 11 and 12, they come right on the back of two verses, 9 and 10, which are always used by people who propound a, a kind of false gospel of health and wealth and prosperity. Honor the Lord and your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be brimming with wine. See, simply honor the Lord. Become a Christian, honor the Lord. And, and life will be great. You'll have total victory, total happiness. In your relationships, in your money. In your job, in your family. The problem is, you've got to take them completely out of context. You've got to take them, just rip them out of the Bible on their own. And see, verses 11 and 12 make it clear that when you begin to understand how this world really works, you know that you can do all of these things. You can be doing everything right and it still goes wrong. Back in Genesis, there's a young man called Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers in Egypt. And when he arrived in Egypt, he uh, worked as a slave. And he did really well, worked as a slave. He was, uh, uh, worked his way up. He had the favor of his boss. Everything seemed to be going uh, a bit better. See, and then his uh, boss's wife decided to make up some lies about him. And he was thrown into prison. And he hadn't done anything wrong. In fact, he'd done absolutely the right thing. She had approached him for an adultery. And what he'd done was, he hadn't kind of stayed around, he'd run from the room. You know, when he sat languishing in a jail, he wouldn't have wanted to hear that doing the right thing would make everything all right. Hebrews 12 is kind of the, the New Testament commentary, if you like, on these verses 11 and 12. And it says this. Let me read you from Hebrews 12. Endure hardship as discipline. 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, then everyone undergoes discipline. Then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those Who've been trained by it. Do you get it? The hardships. The trials. They're used by God to discipline us. He's using the hard times of life. To bring us closer to him. Now you see maybe you haven't known a father. Who was like my father. Maybe you have never known that kind of loving fatherly discipline. And let me tell you God is not nasty. He's not unpleasant. He is a perfect father with all of our interests. Our very best interests at his heart. He delights in us. As children. Do you know something? This life. It's a journey. It's a constant journey. And a constant movement. We're always moving forward. And you either move towards wisdom. Or you move towards foolishness. There's no standing still. It's either moving towards wisdom. Or if you like moving away from wisdom. If we resent. If we despise. The trials from God. If we expect that our life is only ever going to be comfort. If we expect that our life is only ever going to be easy. Then you're just moving towards foolishness. Do you know, when diamonds are created, it's an amazing process. It's a time-consuming process. They're, they're formed generally under high temperature, really significant pressure, up to 100 miles below the Earth's crust. And they get forced to the earth's surface through eruptions and volcanic activity. Let me tell you, it's like that with our trials and discipline from God. If we want to grow, if we want to become something beautiful, something righteous in this journey of life, then that only happens through the times when the pressure is applied. 
It's only when that pressure is applied that you understand what it really means to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean on His understanding. You only fully realize that Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all you've got. What about Joseph? How did it work out for him? He lost the best years of his life. He could have been bitter. He could have come out of prison. He could have despised his trial. But instead, through it all, he trusted God. And that God had a plan for all of it. A plan that was bigger than Joseph. Bigger than his trials. A plan to save his chosen people. As we close this evening, I want to finish by helping you to see the grace and the love of the Father in these verses. You're perhaps wondering when you read verses 11 and 12, where where is the love? Where is the grace that's found? Just verses that are all about discipline. They're all about rebukes. But you see, they're all born out of this unmeasurable love that God has for us. See, to, to accept the rebuke from God, to accept His discipline, you need to know that He loves you. That He loves you unconditionally. And that He is wholeheartedly, 100% for you. Because you see, without that knowledge, you'll just despise it. You'll just resent it. And that is knowledge that doesn't come easily. You have to spend time with God. You have to practice spending time with God. You have to, you have to increase your prayer life. Increase your reading of the Bible. So as you come to know for certain that that he is your loving father. And you know if you're not a Christian tonight. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Let me tell you that, that I want you to see the gospel in these verses tonight. Because Christianity is the only religion. On this whole world that will tell you that their God suffered for us. And so as you journey through this life. And as you go through those sufferings and those pains and those trials that every one of us will experience. You can be sure that God understands it. Because his son Jesus Christ suffered for you. Hebrews 12 says this. 
We read it at the start. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, you have to put away the notion that we have all the answers. You have to put away the notion that that we are wiser and that we know better than God. You have to accept that we are loved and cared for by an amazing a wonderful, loving Father God. Do you know in his book, The Problem with P and C.S. Lewis said this, and with this I finish. Over a sketch that's made to amuse a child, an artist, well, he might not take much trouble. He may be content to let it go, even even though it's not really exactly how it's meant to be. But over the picture, the great picture of his life, he will take endless trouble. And would no doubt give endless trouble to the picture if the picture could feel it. You can imagine the picture... After being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time. Wishing that it were only a thumbnail sketch. Whose making was just over in a minute. See in the same way it's natural for us to wish. That God had designed us for a less glorious destiny. But you see, then you're wishing for less love, not more. The God that we came here tonight to worship loves us deeply. Like a perfect, loving, kind Father. And we can be confident that if we let Him, if we accept his rebuke if we embrace his discipline the God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day his son returns let's bow our heads let's pray Dear Father God, we uh, come humbly before you tonight. We thank you that you are a loving Father God. That your desire for us is for good and not for evil. That your rebukes are designed to drive us to wisdom. To make us grow. That your discipline. P 
painful and hard as it often is, is designed to drive us to you. Dear Father God, help us to prepare ourselves for those rebukes, for those disciplines. Help us to be ready for them. Give us the grace to get through them. And dear Father God, bring us out the other side with a deeper knowledge of wisdom, closer to you and with the fruit of righteousness. And help us to remember in the midst of it all that your son knows exactly what it's like to suffer. To suffer without doing anything wrong but because he loved us so much we thank you Father God for your love for us in your name's sake Amen